0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's look at 2 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians if you're new or visiting. And what we do here at Calvary is we uh, take a book of the Bible and we go through it verse-by-verse And that takes some time. Sometimes we cover three or four verses. Other times we may cover more. But it's not how fast you get through the Bible. Uh, If you read your Bible and you get nothing out of it and it doesn't transform your life, then why are you reading your Bible? That doesn't make any sense. So you want to read your Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to transform your heart. Uh, No matter how old you are, no matter how many years you've been doing it, I've been reading the Bible for 45 years and my heart still needs to be transformed. Nobody in this room has arrived. If you have, you better repent because you haven't. And so Second Corinthians chapter 10, uh, we left off in verse 14, but let's go back to verse 12 to get a little bit of, of context for our text. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10:12, "For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves." And we went in depth last week about this. But they, so those who compare themselves amongst themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We're just to compare ourselves with Jesus. Be more like Jesus. And if there's somebody that is doing something that's wonderful and, and we, we should want to emulate that, absolutely. But don't lift that person up on a pedestal. Never. Anybody. We, we just want to glorify God. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. And so we learned last week, and the rest of the verse says, a sphere, which especially includes you, that God uses us where we are. Um, Some people think, well, you know, I can't be used of God. I can't sing. You know, I I don't know how to teach the Bible. And they think of ministry as just something that takes place on Sunday morning alone. And so we want to, you know, smash that. Ministry can take place anywhere, anytime, middle of the night, during the week, work day, at the grocery store, we're to be available for the work of the ministry. And so the sphere of influence that Paul is talking about here is basically for you and I make it relatable to us today. There's a group of people that we hang with or that we're around. They may be coworkers, they may be relatives, uh, they may be friends, you want to think about that as this is my sphere of influence. You know, Do I have a lot of influence on the president of the United States? Take your two fingers, make a circle, and do that. <laughs> Obviously, I do not. I pray for our president, as our Bible says to do. And so in the spiritual world, I do have a little bit of impact, but we all need to be praying because that's what the Bible says to do, pray. But we can get so caught up with all these other people that I have no impact whatsoever on that we forget about the very people that God has put in front of me and around me. Those 6, eight, ten people that might not know Jesus, that might know Jesus, that are maybe struggling, and because I'm so wrapped up, I, I don't even see in their body language, in their tone, their facial expressions, that they need somebody to just love them, or to ask them, "Hey, do you need prayer?" I kind of notice something's going on. You know, using that gift of discernment, you know, something's not right. Can I pray for you? Or, hey, do you, you want to go for a cup of coffee? You need to talk to somebody, because we're so wrapped, wrapped up in what's going on in DC that we're not going to change. By the way, vote. If you haven't been here, be responsible. We don't we don't neglect any of that. Just so you know. But don't think that you as an individual, by your getting mad, upset, are going to change what's happening. It doesn't change. So we want to remember that we have a sphere of influence. How am I, as a Christian, in that sphere of influence, portraying Christ? Now, are you perfect? No. Am I? No. We never will be. That's not the point. If you fail, admit it. Ask for forgiveness. Move on. That's what people need to see today, is a real live Christian. I don't want to be Christian, but a real live Christian. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. So Paul considered the, the believers at Corinth his spiritual children. He went there, he ministered to them, they were his spiritual children. And he didn't lord over them or rule them. Not boasting of things beyond measure, as we start getting into our text here, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. Well, let's go back to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and tie in a a few verses with our text here. So Paul is not saying, as you turn there, Well, as you share the gospel, people are going to get my name in their minds and they're going to glorify Paul. No, 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 no. You know, we talk about other pastors. You know, I love Pastor Chuck. He's in heaven rejoicing with his earthly wife, who is no longer his earthly wife, but his sister in the Lord. They're rejoicing in heaven. And we may reference him, but he encouraged us never to elevate him. He taught us as senior pastors never to name a building after him. If he says, you do, I will come back to hunt you. He says, it's about God. It's about Jesus. And not, not that there's anything wrong with that per se, but that just was his attitude. He just wanted to serve the Lord. Well, in John chapter 10, verse 11, we read this, Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. And as I shared last week, even as a pastor, I need a shepherd. I'm not above that. So we are all part of the flock. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And we in this room are all, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you are one of his sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, and now this is going to tie in somewhat to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 is saying, I'm not a hireling. matter of fact, he's made it clear, you know what, you didn't even pay me for my services because that's not what it's about. Other churches blessed me, missionary work, and that's why we do so much missionary work around here, so that people can serve in various countries without having to worry about working. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by them. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is for the believer, for all of mankind, but specifically for the sheep. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you are one of his sheep. So you are to listen to his voice. Well, how do I hear his voice? If you're a new believer, I mean, that's just an obvious question. Well, how do I hear hear his voice? Do I go into a trance? I mean, what happens? This is how you hear the voice of the Lord. You read your Bible. The Holy Spirit's within you. You pray. Maybe before you open your Bible, say, God, just help me understand your Bible this morning. And as you're praying and as you're reading and as you do that daily, day after day after day, the Holy Spirit, that still small voice within you, is going to start talking to you and showing you. But predominantly, it's through the word of God, which unfortunately, in the church as a whole, I'm saying universal church, a majority of Christians do not read their Bibles. They'll, they'll go to that case that says break in case of emergency. And they'll throw up a prayer. And then they'll wonder, well, where are you, God? You're never around when I need you. He's always there. The song that we sang, he's always faithful. He is never the problem. We are the problem. I am the problem. God is never the problem. He is always faithful. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Now, this is not the Mormon church, and we don't bash religions. We just speak the truth in love, because if we don't know the Bible, how can we encourage them to understand the Bible? But they actually teach that they are the other fold, and that somehow Jesus walked from Jerusalem to America. Yeah, so anyways, (laughs) them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Who did Jesus come to initially? He came to the Jews. As I teach on Wednesday night, trying to teach the, the, high, the junior hires, which I really enjoy doing, I didn't used to like junior hires at all. Stayed away from them. But you know, over the last 20 years, because of our culture and what they're being fed, now I can have an adult conversation with them, and they can actually have an adult conversation with me. You know, Unfortunately, they're losing their innocence at 8, 10, 12 years old. So we got to be there to help them realize, you know what? What they're saying out there is not right. Marriage is between one male one female. That just, that's just the way it is. We can't condone that. We love them. We love them. We're not preaching hate. None of that nonsense. God loves them. For God so loves the world. But we can't condone it. And right now, if you don't condone it, talk to a Christian sportscaster who's now going through it. If you don't condone it, you are going to get railroaded. Your name's going to be smeared. Your character is going to be smeared. You're a bigot. You're a racist. You're a homophobic. It's plastered all over social media and all over the news. Forget everything that you've done for God. This is who you are. So if you're not ready to take that stand, then you, you better get ready because it's here. It's here. And so the, the fold is the Jews. Why did he go to the Jews first? Because they had the word of God. They had the word of God. They were studying the word of God. They missed the Messiah because they were looking for a conquering Christ instead of a suffering servant. We don't want Rome over us anymore. Jesus deliver us from Rome. Not Jesus deliver us from our sinful nature. Jesus deliver us from Rome. And that's the exact same thing that's taking place right now. Except the world, our country is saying, government, deliver us from God. We don't want God in anything. Get God out of everything and attack those people who are endorsing God. It's all about anti-abortion, right? They don't use the word what? Two words, pro-life. No, no, that would have a good connotation. You're an anti-abortionist. No, no, I'm pro-life. Because science tells us what? That life begins at conception. At conception, guys. That's science as well as the word of God. And so the one flock are the Jews. So Jesus came to the Jews. Well, who's the other flock? Well, this is where, and again, I'm doing this for new people in case you're not familiar with the Bible. There's two groups of people on the face of this earth, even today. We had dinner last night with some friends. She's a Messianic Jew. She was born and raised in Israel into a, a Jewish family that was an Orthodox and is an Orthodox Jewish family. Very Orthodox, very Jewish. By the law, by the book, she received Christ as her Savior. So the second group of people, you're either Jew on the face of this earth today, even today, or you are a Gentile. There's only two groups of people. Whatever nationality you think you are, it doesn't matter. In the word of God, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile, according to Jewish mindset. Because obviously in the word of God, there's many nationalities, so forth and so on. But there's only one race, too, right? There's only one race, guys, the human race. Don't buy any of this nonsense. So the two groups of people are Jews and Gentiles. Jesus come to make the Jews and Gentiles what? One, the church, the church. And so let's look back into Corinthians. So Paul is dealing with this in 15, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, We shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. So now Paul's saying, hey, as you go out and preach the gospel, that's going to give me opportunity if I ever come around or if I send a letter, they're going to hear from me. But they don't come under me. I don't rule over them. It just enlarges my sphere. To do what in verse 16? To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in other men's sphere as of accomplishment. So again, remember where Corinth was? It was a hub of commerce, of culture, of social ills. And so people would be traveling through Corinth on a regular basis. And so there was that influence. Again, think of this in your own mind as your sphere of influence people passing through your life, maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker, uh, maybe someone at the store. Uh, whatever happens in your life just think of it as you know what these people are passing through are they going to see Jesus in me are they going to hear maybe hear about Jesus if i have that opportunity to plant to water to fertilize are they going to maybe have that opportunity so that as they go down the road and this is how ev- evangelism works Somebody else plants and somebody else waters and then somebody else plants and somebody, You know, in your lives individually, if you gave your testimony, you most likely could look back and you go, you know, I can remember in third grade. You know, I remember in eighth grade. You know, I remember when I was in college, this person said this. And, and then all of a sudden you'll say, but one day it finally clicked when I was doing this. But guys, God was planting and watering and fertilizing. If you look back in your life, He was faithful and He's doing that with 8 billion people today. He takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. But he needs you and I to be planting and watering and fertilizing and asking about prayer and so forth and so on. That the sphere might be increased. Here's another example that Paul shares with the Christians at Corinth. When they share the gospel and live out their Christian faith, their testimony will spread beyond their immediate area and could possibly open a door for Paul to share the gospel somewhere else. So it increases the sphere of Paul's influence. Again, possibly to the point of being invited to preach the gospel where no one has gone before. You see, Paul not only cared for the existing churches, but he looked for ways to reach those who had not heard the good news yet. We'll see. We'll get into some verses. But keep that in mind. He cared for the existing churches, and he was looking for ways to reach those who had not heard the good news yet. And this is yet another sign of Paul's heart of ministry to ministering the gospel where the gospel has not been preached. The false teachers just wanted to live off the established church, so they attacked Paul. You can get the CD from last week. They attacked Paul and his ministry. But Paul didn't come down to their level, but rather encouraged the Corinthians to be effective witnesses for Christ. You see, people in our sphere of influence are watching our walk and listening to our talk. And we never know when the opportunity might arise to share the gospel with them. We never know. But God desires to use us. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians 10, 17. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Again, Paul didn't want to compare himself with others because he would then be bragging about his own abilities. Rather, he bragged about God. And the awesome work that God was doing through him. Again, there's nothing wrong with bragging about God and what he's done for you and through you. You should do that. You just make sure that you do it with humility. Verse 18, for not he who commends himself is approved. Think of the Pharisees, the Sadducees. For not he who commends himself is approved. Jesus rebuked them. They were playing religion. They did not have a relationship like they thought they had and that they needed. And there's many people today who are commending themselves by their outward religious actions. But inwardly, as Jesus said, they were just full of dead men's bones, whitewashed sepulchres for not he who commends himself is approved but whom the lord commends and the word commends there says to set together to place together the lord wants to be a part of our lives together not just as i mentioned earlier break the glass pray when things are really desperate when things are really bad no, no, he wants to be a part of our lives. You see, the false teachers were measuring themselves amongst themselves, thus seeking approval based upon a worldly comparison. Paul knew that it wasn't what a person said about themselves that proved anything, but what God did through that person. You See, James makes reference to this fact. Let's look at James chapter 2 verses 17 through 20 james chapter 2 verses 17 through 20 and i don't think jim i had that highlighted so you probably didn't make a slide (laughs) my fault brother so they'll have to figure it out on their own this time so you got uh, philemon hebrews james peter philemon hebrews james peter if you're new to the bible that's in the back towards the back of the new testament Hebrews, James, Peter. So James chapter 2, 17 through 20. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, the Mormons and other religions will try to use this against you that you need to have works for salvation. As you read the book of James, James is not written to a general audience. James is written to believers. James is written specifically to believers, so he is in no way contradicting what Paul wrote in, second, or in uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a work of God, not of you, lest anyone should boast. So James is not encouraging that, but they'll try to twist that, and if you don't understand that, you'll go, oh, wow, yeah, I guess I, guess I do need to have works for salvation. No, you can never work your way to heaven, ever, impossible. It's just the cross. So Paul, James is writing to believers, so he's saying, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Not that you're not saved. You're just not using your faith. What's it good for? The salvation's off the table. James already knows that. These people are saved. So he's not addressing salvation. He's just talking about sanctification and works, fruit of salvation, not fruit for salvation. But someone will say, if you have faith and I have my, I, I have.'" But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. So James goes on to say about that scenario, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Very important. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? That's all that James is, the point James is making. So as believers, if we say we have faith, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to use that faith? If not, it's just a dead faith. It's still faith. You're going to heaven. But what good is it? So for you and I, we want to, we want to take that to heart. Am I allowing God to use my faith in my sphere of influence? You know, as we look back into 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18, am I allowing God to use me? Now, again, in your workplace, you're not paid to evangelize. You're paid to work. So I never encourage that. You should not do that. But during your lunch break or your breaks or maybe before work or after work or on the weekend getting together with somebody, are you available to get together with people? I'm going to brag on Claudia. She won't like this, but I'm going to brag on Claudia. We went out to dinner, I don't know when it was, a year or so ago. And, um, and we like striking up conversations with the waitress or waiter that, and uh, ask them for prayer and such. And so we did that, and, and this gal opened up. Well, since that time, Claudia and her have developed a relationship. And Claudia's invited her over for dinner. So she's ministering to her. So guys, you never know. Now, we don't, that doesn't happen every single time. Now, we do ask every single time. That's just our protocol. We like doing that. Hey, you know, is there anything that you'd like prayer for? Most of the time people are like, what? Is there anything that you'd like prayer for? You know, we're Christians and we want to pray for you for the rest of the week. And, and then I'll just kind of say, you know what, just think about it. Because you can tell right away the wheels are like, okay, what's going on here? Manipulation, what's this all about? You know what, just take your time. You know, keep doing what you're doing. Think about it. And if you need prayer for anything, let us know before we leave. And almost every single time people do. One time we had a person actually say, Can I sit down with you and pray with you? And we're like, No. No. You have crossed the line. What is their manager going to say? I say, You let your manager know that we asked you to sit down. She sat down and prayed with us. You just never know, guys, but are we available? Are we available? Make yourself available. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commands. The word approved there, it means accepted. Accepted. We're accepted by Christ, guys. Get that off the table. You're holy, you're unblameable, you're unreprovable from heaven to earth. Get over it. You're a saint. You don't like it? Too bad. You're a saint. Now you have to mature past that and just go, okay, what can I do to become more like Jesus? Just because a person says that they're following after God doesn't necessarily mean that they are. You see, these false teachers were seeking after the approval of man. Again, I know I'm being repetitious, but this is important because repetition helps our memory. By accusing Paul of his appearance and presentation of the word. Because again, as we leave that up there, think about this. How many times does the enemy used fear in your life or my life, In a situation, almost instantly, don't say anything because you don't know what you're talking about. Don't say anything, they're going to reject you. Don't say anything, they're going to mock you. Oh, don't worry about it, somebody else will do it. All of those thoughts come flooding into our minds instantaneously when we want to be used by God. That's called spiritual warfare. That's where you need to pray and go, no, I'm doing what God asked me to do right here, right now. Just right here, right now. Whatever happens next week is next week. But right right, right here, right now, God is asking me to do this, so we're going to do it. You see, in reality, they had a desire to bring others into bondage, basically through the law, by placing them under the requirements of the Jewish law. You see, when you look to a person for acceptance, this is for you and I, you will always find yourself falling short. Do any of you have expectations? Expectations. Any of you have expectations? Okay, everybody wake up. When you go to a four-way stop, do you have any expectations? You expect everybody else to stop, right? We all have expectations. Now let's make it really personal. Do any of you have expectations of yourself? Anybody have any? There's some hands. There we go. And what happens when you don't meet your expectations? Do you pat yourself on the back? You say, oh man, that was so good, you failed. Good job. Let's fail again. No, the enemy beats us up and we grab it and run with it. And then we place expectations. So get get that in your head, right? So we do that to ourselves. So now within marriage, no show of hands. But do you place expectations on your mates, either knowingly or unknowingly? And what are you doing to them? You are setting them up for failure. Because you can't meet your own expectations and you expect somebody else to meet their expectations. And you can apply this to coworkers, you can apply this to your children or grandchildren, you can apply it to anybody. Be very, very careful. Be very careful. This is what Paul is dealing with here. These people are are bragging about each other with each other. Hey, you know that Paul guy, short, squatty, running eyes, doesn't present the gospel very well, but look at us. Look at how well I can talk. Look how tall I am. Look at how beautiful I look. (laughs) Beware. Beware. We want to seek to please the Heavenly Father. And when we do that, We'll find ourselves producing fruit via the Holy Spirit. You see, as I continue to submit myself to the will of the Father, did you guys notice a word that we sang this morning? It's a theological word. I surrender some. Now, we didn't sing that song, but surrender was in one of the songs we sang. But that's the song we like to sing. I surrender some some to jesus some to my mama i surrender some you know it's like what i think the song says i surrender all nah not all no 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 no. i don't want to do that john 15 says i am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away he prunes this is not about salvation. Again, some people will take these verses and turn them into salvation. This is not at all about salvation. It's talking about sanctification. When I received Christ in the spring of 78, I needed sanctification. I needed to be cleaned up. You don't, you don't clean the fish before you catch it. You catch the fish and then you clean the fish. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. There was stuff in my life that God needed to take away. Now I had to submit. And if I didn't want him to take away, I would say, no, don't touch that. That's mine. Don't touch that. I'm not going to give that up. That's mine. So that changes love towards me? Not at all. Not at all. He goes, okay, have it your way. Let's go around the mountain one more time. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Guys, this is for you and me. Do you want to be a, a fruit-bearing tree, a vine? Or are you content with just doing, eh, no, I'm fine. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want, I don't want my name on social media. You see, what is a simply a very interesting fact is that the more I submit to the will of the Father by setting time aside to be with Him, the more He is able to use me for His kingdom. But again, it comes back to, are you having a private devotional time? How's he going to use you? How's he going to use me? I don't have my private devotional time for you. I have it for me. I'm selfish. Because I need more of Christ. I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need more of his word. Now you get the benefits of it, and other people do too, but not always. So it's hit and miss, but you need to be in the word of God. And that is what takes Paul into this next chapter as we get into chapter 11. Again, he wasn't going to compare himself to those who were accusing him of not being an apostle, but rather give the Corinthians the facts of how he allowed God to use him. You see, the heavenly fruit in Paul's life was obvious, and as we will see, there were many inconveniences. I encourage you this week to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's going to take you about a whole five minutes. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you're going to see a lot of inconveniences. Because in our lives here as Americans, we're so lethargic and lazy. We don't like inconveniences. We might even yell at inconveniences instead of just going, well, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. I encourage you to ask a question as I do marital couples. It's just popped into my mind. Um, what is it? It's, it's there. It's right at the tip of my brain. What eternal value does this have? What eternal value does this have? You know, getting upset about something? What eternal value does it have? That doesn't mean we should stop training and teaching all that good stuff. I'm just saying, be careful. Be careful. What eternal value does this have? Well, chapter 11. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So Paul here uses a physical analogy to teach a spiritual principle. The physical analogy, and the Corinthians would have known this, is in the Jewish culture, Uh, Joseph and Mary let's just take Joseph and Mary because we just celebrated the birth of our Lord so Joseph and Mary were engaged and they actually wrote if you read your scriptures they actually wrote a marriage contract so at that point they were technically married but they hadn't gone through the religious service so they didn't come together to consummate the marriage or to have physical relations Mary remained with her parents and Joseph went off to build the house or add to the family's house to get prepared for his bride. But they were betrothed, they were engaged, and if you remember the story, it was just last month, Mary became pregnant via the Holy Spirit, and Joseph wanted to do what? Put her away privately. Because why? Because they were married, she committed adultery, she should have been stoned to death. So Paul is using that analogy, just like in our culture, the Jewish culture, we get betrothed, we're committed even though we might be separated we're committed it's the exact same analogy for you and me even though jesus is in heaven we're committed are you committed we have to be committed you've heard me say this many times for new people it might be your first time dual responsibility heaven to earth earth to heaven There's dual responsibilities in our life. It is not just heaven to earth, heaven to earth, heaven to earth. God, when are you going to give me, give me, give me, give me? No, that's immature. Heaven to earth, earth to heaven. God's responsibility, my responsibility. That dual responsibility you will see throughout the scriptures. You see, godly jealousy, that's interesting, isn't it? When you see that, it's kind of godly jealousy. You see, Paul is going to show us the appropriate side of jealousy here. Not like when you were in junior or senior high. Were any of you ever in junior or senior high? Any of you in eighth grade or you know in high school? Yeah, 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 yeah. Did any of you ever have jealousy over something? You know, maybe somebody's bike. Man, that kid's got a really cool bike that he rides to school. Or a car, or whatever it might be. You see, you typically have jealousy because you think that you're going to lose something or someone. So prevalent, especially in junior high and high school. They're my friends. You can't be a part of this group. What? That's just reality. You see, you try to guard a friendship or a position on the team in such a way that you end up looking pretty silly and immature. You're so afraid of losing something that you end up pushing people away or maybe even hurting them in some way. This is obviously an immature jealousy and one that God does not entertain. That's not what this is addressing here. He's not afraid of losing our attention or love. Rather, he's concerned, and this is so important, he's concerned over our well-being. Right now, in, in America, unfortunately, due to the last sentence that was done in 2020, we have more people living together, even under the banner of Christianity, than ever before. Ah, marriage is just a piece of paper. No, it is not. Yes, it is a piece of paper, but it's way bigger than that. And for the believer, we're called to remain pure. Why? To keep us safe, to safeguard your hearts. Because our hearts are fragile that That word heart there is our soul Our soul is fragile So we want to be very very careful You see it's kind of like when your child comes home And informs you that everyone is doing something That is not very intelligent You may have even said this yourself at one time As a youngster You know why can't I go Everyone else is going Or why can't I do it Everyone else is doing it and once you become a parent, you probably came back with the same response that has been used for generations. You guys already know where this is going, right? Especially you parents. So if everyone is jumping off a bridge, am I supposed to let you jump off too? You know, it's a goofy response because nobody's asking to jump off a bridge, but it just keeps handing down through generations. See, but when you really listen to the response, you hear that it's not about a bridge. It's about what? It's about the love that your parents have for you and that you now have for your own child. I know many times, and I've heard it and I've done things, we'll say as teenagers, well, I'll never be like you. Well, I'll never say what you say. And then we have kids. And we find ourselves saying the exact same things, and then we go, whoa, what did I just say? My dad said that. And we go, bing, truth oh that's why he said it he was trying to keep me safe and I was too immature to realize that because I'm just trying to keep my own child safe but they get disappointed and they look at me and say I hate you good I don't like you either go to your room (laughs) go to your room it's okay go to your room you'll be over it you see it's it's the love that Paul has for his own spiritual children You see, just as you're jealous over your children's physical, mental, and spiritual well-being, which you should be, Paul is jealous over his spiritual children's physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. You see, there's something within a parent that rises up within you when you know it's your own child's welfare at stake. Yeah, the rest of them are doing that. Let them go. They're not my kids. You're my kid. You're not going. There's something that wells up inside you. That's called a godly jealousy. I'm trying to keep you safe. Let's look at Exodus 34 real quick as we wrap it up here. Exodus 34. Let's look at a few verses that drive home this point of God's jealousy. God's jealousy is pure love. I'm jealous for you. I don't want you to get hurt. And that's the same thing that we have for, our, hopefully we have for our children. You know, I'm jealous over you. The rest of the kids are doing it Fine. I'm jealous over you. I don't want you to get hurt. Exodus 34:10, and he said, "Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as had not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. This is God speaking to Moses, and all the people among whom you shall see the work of the Lord." for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite and the Parasite. Man, that's a lot of people. Take heed to yourself. Why is God driving them out? This is very important because people will accuse the Bible and the Jewish race of genocide, of going into the land and wiping out people. No, that's not what took place. There was a reason why God did this. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. There is God's jealousy. What they're doing is they're offering their one-year-olds and two-year-olds into the arms of hot red arms of Baal, and they're cooking their children as a sacrifice. Not that we would do that in America. We do it more sterily in a building and we call it choice. And all you anti-abortion people are bad people. Because you believe life begins at conception, and that's a man or a woman that's in that mom's womb. And only women can have babies. Only women can have babies. But you shall destroy you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, again, very important here, 15 and 16, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices to their gods, and one of them invites you and you eat of the sacri- of his sacrifices, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. What's the point there? They're not gods. We have a lot of gods in America, don't we? Yeah, you're rooting for them on Sundays. I know you are. You can go home and root for them. So do I, but they're not my god. You know, it is what it is. At the end of the day, I'm just like, "Eh, somebody has to lose every single time. Somebody's got to lose. Get over it. But some people have a hard time getting over it because it's their god. It's their god. Social media might be your god. You spend more time on social media than anything else. That's your God. You spend more time on social media than maybe relationships, real relationships, because these people on social media, most of them could care less about you. When you're gone, who cares? I've got 10,000 other friends. Yeah, right. You need Jesus as your friend. So this is the jealousy that God has. You know what? Everything else I know is false. I want to protect you from everything else, the 401K, the alcohol, the abuse of prescription drugs, the pornography, whatever it might be that's trying to creep into our lives because the world has it and is trying to entice us with it and we might be playing with it. God's saying, no, 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 you're mine and that's going to hurt you. Don't do that. That's what it is, guys. That's God's jealousy. We have it towards our own children. Just think about that. God has it towards you. And surrender. I need to surrender. You need to surrender. Father, we thank you and praise you for Paul through the Holy Spirit giving us this wisdom that we are betrothed to Christ. We're going to heaven no matter how bad things get here. No matter if we get arrested, no matter if we get everything taken away, no matter if we get mocked or ridiculed, it doesn't matter. We're going to heaven at the end of the day. We're going to heaven. It's a win-win situation. So, Father, in this culture that is blatantly attacking Christianity, blatantly attacking the Bible, hunting them down, so to speak, and and not necessarily to death, but it could be the death of a career, the death of a job, the death of their character, this is happening. It's happening in our midst. So, Father, give us wisdom that you will be the sure foundation, that we will not trust in anyone else or anything else but you, your word. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have. And, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, as I read almost on a daily basis, those who are being martyred in other countries, uh, pretty much a daily basis. They take a stand for the faith. Lord, we pray for them even right now, wherever they might be, those who are still alive. Lord, that you will give them supernatural strength with those who are holding them captive. That they will not back down. They will not deny. But they will proclaim that Jesus is the only way of getting into heaven. John 14, 6. Father, we thank you for the day. Use us this week in our sphere of influence. Help us to know that no matter who we are every Bible-believing Christian in this room, no matter what age you are, we have a sphere of influence. Help us to be a, a good witness, Lord. And when we fail, help us to admit it and just move on, that you will be glorified in and through our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life please visit calvaryqueencreek.org